So as you all know, tonight we have the opportunity to hear from a superb Burmese writer, Ket Mar, who will be in residence on campus until tomorrow afternoon. Ket was born in 1969 in a small fishing village called Malado, which is about 30 minutes from the capital in Burma. Um, she told me yesterday that Malado means woman with half of a thumb. From, from a really fascinating folktale that's sort of Romeo and Juliet-esque, right? And it's, but it's, there's a nice twist that, you know, they live on either side of a river, the man and the woman who are in love, their parents disapprove, um, but they each have a crocodile who also disapproves. And so the man's um, crocodile bites off the woman's half of her thumb, and so the woman runs off in agony um, with half of them and lands at a stream, right? And that stream is called Malado, which is woman with half of a thumb, and that's where Ket is from. Um, so, one thing about Ket's work um, is that, this is something else she explained to me, you know, many people from the small villages don't really make it to the city, and many people from the city don't really make it to the villages. So. Um, this is a characteristic of Ket's work in the Burmese, is that you know, she sort of has this rural and also this very urban imagination combined. Um, she's the author of one novel, Wild Snowy Night, as well as several collections of short stories, essays, and poems. Her work has been translated into Japanese and is starting more and more to be translated into English. Um, it's been broadcast on the radio and it's been made into a film. In the fall of 2007, she was a visiting fellow at the Iowa Writers um, International Writing Program. And since then, she's given a number of um, talks and readings throughout the country. Um, and she currently lives in residence at City of Asylum Pittsburgh, which provides sanctuary to writers exiled under threat of death, imprisonment, or persecution in their native countries. Kett's work provides us a rare personal glimpse into Burmese life and particularly the harrowing social issues that Burmese people face. It's important for us here tonight to keep in mind that this subject is one we might otherwise have no opportunity to confront as readers given the extreme censorship um, in characterizing the military government in power in Burma right now. Um, and so her work reminds us of the crucial role that writers have in their historical moments, which is to bear witness. It's important to remember that Ket has risked her life to write um, and serve as a witness for her fellow Burmese people. I want to say a few last words um, about our program tonight. We'll start with English translations, new English translations, done by students in the translation, literary translation workshop. So, these students are not readers of Burmese. What they've done is work from very raw literal material um, prepared by a reader of Burmese, and then really interviewed the heck out of Ket um, asked her a barrage of intricate questions um, to get at what that original piece really did do and say and what it was and what it was about. Um, this is a very challenging form of translation um, and I'm really pleased with their efforts and I'm happy to show them off. Um, and it's also a really important form of translation because without it, 
we wouldn't have the opportunity to read in English or to interact with literatures um, written in languages that aren't frequently translated, right? Languages that we don't tend to know and study in America and in, in Britain, right? Um, so, I hope you all have a program. I think you all do. I hope you have a copy of the work that Ket is going to read after the students read their translation, so you can follow along if you want to. Um, after she's finished, I think there'll be a quick opportunity for some questions uh, from the audience. And yeah, thank you again, and I hope you enjoy. So, help me. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. And so we'll start with Brianna Pekratsky, um, who'll be reading one of these springs. Um, and then we'll have Megan Maddich read um, Fate Star. And then Kat will come up and read. One of these springs. The flowers on Samsonia Way glorify the moon and stars over the city of three rivers. Are you all welcoming us to Pittsburgh? Yes, they greeted us with the promise of spring. I planted flowers in my garden to magnify the grace of my new home. Even during this respite, free from fear and persecution, I couldn't forget my people shadowed by despair. I made an offering of freshly cut flowers and prayed. I had a haunting dream, all in white. The night the blazing red salvia blossoms began to bloom. I was free to dream in Pittsburgh's illuminated nights. The cars, the buildings, the skies, the oceans, all living things, and even my white illuminated self, the freedom of the dream was mesmerizing. In the dream, I found myself floating with everyone else toward an unknown. The pull was irresistible, and I was unsettled, yet curious, hopeful. Drifting, I heard moaning cries, laments from unseen mouths. I sensed a cool, sourceless, bright light around me. It was impossible to distinguish anyone or anything as they were lost in this luminous sameness. In this loss, I understood. We are all the same. I couldn't stop floating in my dream, endlessly becoming part of the meld, becoming one. Even in dreams, we cannot escape life's uncertainty. I didn't know when the floating would stop. And then I awoke, even before my dream ended. The first thing I heard was the chirping of birds. I opened the window, and a welcoming breeze, carrying a faint fragrance, greeted me. Beneath the warmth of the sun, in the sanctuary of Pittsburgh, here, life is blooming among the flowers. Um, I'm going to read her poem, Fate Star, stanza by stanza. And whenever I read a stanza, she's going to read the stanza in Burmese. Faint star. Last week, I gazed at the paintings of Frida Kahlo. Last night, I read the poems of Sylvia Plath for the third time. Frida Kahlo, Sylvia Frida is a deer shot with arrows. I am too pure for you or anyone. Your body hurts me as the world hurts God. 
class bitterness sustains her suffering. Pain in their poems and paintings immolates them, illuminating them like stars. Let's analyze me. My life, emptied of meaning and identity, a state of suffering that torments me. I sue those restless seconds and put them away in a chest. Yet at night I cry, in day I fight the tears, I hide, sustaining myself until I topple down again. If my body must burn to be a brilliant star, then may I escape. I would rather be free of the strife than prolific, honored, and burnt. I long to live in a little house where sunlight and breeze mark the air. I wish that others would have that peace. But the sky ripples and those beneath shudder, remembering the waves. Their tongues took at the memory. I wish that they could live fearlessly. I wish that those who scrounge for vegetables could rejuvenate their bodies with meat. ပြီးတဲ့အခင်ကမောဘာဘဝအစာဝိဒနာများကိုပဲပြေးရောက်စီချင်ပါတယ်။လေးပြီးရောနေကြီးပါဝင်ရောက်နိုင်တဲ့အ
that that was very very serious uh, revolution. So I was very uh, worried and upset for my my family and my friends and my my comrades as well, who we worked together for for social uh, for social issues and and democracy issues. So I uh, I try to express my feelings in Iowa City and my my experience in in Burma in this story, but. Uh, but as we have a very very serious censorship, so I I didn't write very freely. I I didn't uh, mention the, the direct information in my story that uh, I used to that the way I used to write. So and um, uh, we have we had yes we are having a series of demonstrations uh, like 1988 uprising that uh, about 3,000 people died, 3,000 people were killed by military government and about uh, 20,000 people were arrested. Since then I involved uh, with the political activities. So I have many much uh, feelings and experience uh, related to the political, personally or uh, indirectly. So I think you can find something, some, some, some of my feelings and experience in this story. After that, you can ask me wherever you want on my experience. So the name of the story is night floor. I sat on the bank of the slow moving river, shoulders hunched, feet and teeth clenched against the bone chilly night breeze. The stone branch, the stone, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I don't know how to pronounce bench, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the stone bench I was, I was sitting on was as cold as a block of ice, so I thought. The cold breeze that came across the river touched my bare neck, making me flushed with goose pimples. A river is also bigger than a creek or a stream, so I was taught. The Iowa River reminds me of Maladu, the stream that flows behind the long-legged house where I lived until my teens. My village is called Malato too. Malato's water, water was not clear either, but almost clear in the summer, married in the rainy season. On both of the bank, that unending patchwork of rice paddies, sunflowers, chilies, and peanuts upon. My village friends who couldn't afford Scoot tended this field all year round, but my sister and I were lucky because our mother was a teacher at the village school. During the summer holidays, we dried my friend's baking cheese. 
the sunbeak of our supple bodies and the hot cheeks of our tender hands. When we, ha when we had filled uh, a sack, we were paid a small basketful of chilies in return. We could take our share to use or sell it at the market nearby, or we could also sell it back to the owner. Most of us kept what we needed and sold the rest back to the farmer. At noon, we stopped for lunch, rice, fish paste, vegetables and mega portion of fish cut from Malado Creek were brought by our group of friends. Some in aluminum containers, but mostly wrapped in, in leaves. The traditional wrapping. We sat beneath the shade of a huge tree, sharing our food while tasty and laughing. It was indeed the most fulfilling time of the day. After lunch, we returned to the fields, leaving the spot in, leaf, in leaves in 2001. After five years away from my village, I revisited my village on cells. Now people use plastic bags instead of leaves. The hot air scattered the bags over the fields where once we left together. Why? I asked my friend Makimo. She gave me the strangest look. Where else could we go? She started back. She was the crazy one with her nonchalant acceptance that blessed might replace leaves. The people of my village are just apathetic, apathetic about the mangrove that grows along the Malado swamps. The villagers themselves cut out the mangrove to make charcoal to line the pockets of businessmen. Now its marine life is slowly disappearing and the villagers are being deprived of eating fish and shrimp as their simple pleasure that you used to enjoy. Mangrove shrimps also act as barricade for the villagers against storm or tsunami that came in from the Indian Ocean. Don't my people realize what they are doing? Working for a handful of rice in order to survive becomes an isolated act in the darkness. The day after I arrived at Iowa University, there was a field trip with other invitees of the International Writing Program to the Red Art Firm. Yes, I was walking on American soil in the American wilds. I was in the fields of Malato without plastic bags. As we walk, walked, a fellow writer in front of me threw an empty plastic water bottle into the thick grass. Seconds later, who threw this? I am sorry was the honorable admission. Please don't do this, strangely said the dark-haired young woman with a nose ring. She looked young enough to be in her late teens. She plucked at the bottle as if lifting an ugly thing from a bed of exotic flowers. One hour we had free time. My friends and I fished in the Malato. I used a light pole, but they would go right in, searching for fish with their hands and feet, snatching them on contact. Without even looking, they could name them. 
they would yell out, it's a cuttlefish, and they were usually right. I had no such skill. They would throw a mud coated fish to me on the bank, and I scooped it into the bamboo basket. My grandmother called me for a petting in the taking of life, as we Buddhists are not supposed to do. But picking up the fish was so exciting. I paid her no heed. I imagined the thrill of grabbing fish in the water, as the others did. Then it happened that meeting it through a nesenyai, a dove catfish, and its dorsal fin cut my big toe. The toe swelled up. The pain and extreme heat made me cry the whole night. My grandmother crushed a medicinal leaf to fight the poison. This is retribution, you know. You have pain in your little toe. Think of the fish suffering in the basket. Still crying from pain and the scolding. I did as she said, but because I was not a fish, I could not fathom the suffering of fish. I thought instead how the fish my friends cut would be sold and turned into money. The cash would buy rice and the and with the hollow string vegetable that grew abundantly in their backyards would make a meal to support their lives. I confessed my lack of feeling for fish. I was sad and angry that my friends couldn't even afford to eat what they caught. Many of my friends are still in this kind of sad situation and many whom I don't know to. My thoughts returned to my toe and, strangely, the heat and pain had died away. My food was cooler again. I felt better. One night on the bank of the Iowa River, the tip of my toe felt this same soothing, comforting sensation. By the light from the lamp post 20 feet away, I looked around to see a rabbit examining my food with its nose its nose, dark gray with quick eyes and ears up. The rabbit looked back at me. Hunting it was, I said without moving, but my toe was no kind of food, so he hopped into the misty grasses nearby. That very evening I had seen far-tailed squirrels running and playing al along the bank, and ducks on the river. Some fought for food, some for love, and some were just playing. Was this really America where I found myself? I felt, I felt like the jungle grove where I cut the yellow branches, branches to propel local shampoo for my grandmother. But I am America, actual America, and so I recomposed my thoughts. Around midnight, I was connected with my friend in Burma through Google Talk. How is Iowa? Very pleasant. Plenty of ducks in the river, also squirrels and rabbits too. Really? It would be so nice if it was like that in Burma. I imagined he invented the peaceful scent, but I wasn't pretty sure. Why, may I ask? 
Well, you can cook and eat them. Rabbit is very delicious and duck so tasty. There was nothing I could see, but I wondered that happened to those note bombing streets of kindness and blamelessness. Had they been vanquished? On the other hand, I reasoned, if they had enough to eat, he wouldn't have such awful designs on my gentle sense. I giggled at his command, and I wanted to cry. I don't know why I want to cry so much in Iowa. Last night, I cried. Earlier, I had, I'd had two glasses of white wine at that gathering. The wine warmed me in the sudden change of weather. As sun melts ice, the wine melts my sadness into tears. That night was good to hold many warm hands. Hands from Argentina, the Czech Republic, Russia, Malta, Montenegro, Malaysia, Hong Kong, oh, those loving hands of the world. Their warmth and kindness went straight inside me. They understood. They could feel what I felt. It was powerful. This love is also like a gift to my Burmese people. I will take that gift back with me to Burma. Those warm hands were grabbed. The story of my Burmese friend Katie, now living in Oslo. She heard I was here in Iowa, so she called me. She was granted political asylum in Norway. She doesn't know when she will step on our own soil again. Perhaps one day, when Obama attains democracy. She told me about her life in Oslo, starting with the severe cold and her struggle to survive and stay happy. I was at a small party, she told me, like a family gathering, a pleasant place to be. The kids were play, playing freely on the lawn. The elders drank wine and talked. I was thinking that life is worth living, after all. And suddenly, I thought of I thought of thoughts of Obama, my family and friends. And here, I was sipping wine and feeling joyful. My mother has become a sailor in the market. My friend is hiding to avoid being arrested and left her little daughter behind. The child cried all the time for her mother's milk. The mother's breast ached because her daughter wasn't there to suckle. She doesn't know where she was stepped from one night to the next. And the rest of my friends, my comrades in Burma, are either imprisoned or at the interrogation centers. I could hardly hear it. Katie sobbed. Her sobs were like electricity, cutting through the heavens to reach me. After hearing from Katie, I was tormented. I had no one close to share my sorrow. I could bitter the tears on Katie's thick lashes. I started to cry. Dear my friend, what happened? Like the friend from Montenegro, she needs to cry, said a Russian friend. 
we are with you, okay? Another told me, oh, how good to have a family. Then the thought of my two sons and my friends in Bahamas struck my heart. The rush of loneliness overwhelmed the comfort I had just received. And yet, all of us from all over the world are one family now. Disney brought us here. Soon, we will return to our homes. And I am very fortunate to have these friends who will cut my tears and the tears of Bama with their warm hands. I never cry in Bama. I don't know why I lack the strength to cry. Sometimes, lying next to my little boy, I feel like it. Instead, I weep gently, so as not to wake him. Though I would like to shoot my splintered thoughts across the galaxy. I lie still on my bamboo mat, inhaling my sighs. In Iowa, I cried to the heat of sexification. I sobbed and wiped away tears over and over until my tear dust are dry. I ran myself into the ground with crying, exhausted and not out. I fall asleep peacefully, peacefully like my little son. Around on, I woke up, well slept. My spirits were up, and I, I decided to lie. In a flash, I saw an old woman wearing dark clothes. She sat comfortably with one knee up at the end of my bed, her eyes fixed on me. A young woman stood in front of the window in a red dress, perhaps still a teen. She leaned on the windowsill and smiled at me. Who are those people? I asked myself. I rose swiftly and switched on the table lamp next to my bed. Through the satellite window, Sudden less window, yellow light from the lamp post outside, comes into my room. Well, the old one is the old one in black is not the black refrigerator opposite my bed. Certainly not. So who are they? I wondered. I had met this figure of an old woman once before at a meditation center in Pate. For the breathing exercise, there are two methods, sitting down and walking to and fro. I fill out the letter, for which there is a path which you can follow. One day as I was walking the path, meditating, I saw an old woman adorned in dark brown robe, which we call the jogi robe, jogi color robe leaning against the pole. Not with my two eyes, I saw her in my mind, in a kind of trance. I concentrated on every step, lived on my foot, moved forward and stepped down, lived, moved and stepped. Slowly, I approached her, less than an arm's length away. She touched my shoulder with her hand. I looked up. 
It wasn't a woman, but a skeleton that had touched me. I reasoned hard. My mind was making me see things. I pulled myself together and concentrated on my breathing. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. I told my friend from Europe all day, encounter with the two women at dawn. Were your eyes closed or opened when you saw them? I don't remember. Well, it was a dream. Instantly, I recalled what a woman who had told me 15 years earlier, someone who had helped me in my life. My sister, you are being taken care of by women from the unseen places. You will meet them often, either in your dreams or your thoughts. Yes, I told her. I see these women in my dreams quite often, including my grandmother. They seem to be always watching me. Why is that? Perhaps they want to protect you or they want something from you. Yes, I wish Bart back. It seems most likely that they want to protect me from consequences of my meetings. I don't think they want anything from me. I recite holy verses every night to express my wish that others may benefit equally from my prayer. I have only this deed to give. It is good that these women are protecting me, but there are also many men to have helped me. I must be a fortunate person. And yet, I know that there are people watching me who watch not out of love. Like Majid, with the enhancement of color, I was early autumn gives way to winter. It's not easy for this Burmese girl who came from 104 degree Fahrenheit to live in 40 degree Fahrenheit. My hands and feet cheek really in my room. Looking out at the sunlight, I love seeing the bright breeze which I loathe in sizzling Burma. Sun is the cold, but the breeze is chilly. From my window, I watch the Iowa, the river I have come to love. It has become my companion. I recall the warm words of Oya Rahidab, my friend from South Korea. You must really be in love with the river cat, she said. Yes, I am. She went on. The flowing water at night is fascinating. The surface is subtle and calm, but underneath that surface runs restless water struggling to find its freedom. Only those who love and observe the river can perceive this phenomenon. She said it with a smile as yellow light from the lamp post embraced the sliding night waters. I see her face and her words ring on in my thoughts. When I have had my fill of the river, I turn to my room. Here, I read, write, think of my two sons, watch TV, 
listen to news, my mind wanders, I sigh, I cry, I talk who girl talk. At bedtime, I snuggle under my thick blanket. I begin to hear voices and see images. The voices and images of despair across our world. Who is causing all these? Are they causing these mysteries? Or are we letting them happen? Dream, dream and reality have become one. In other words, things happen when you don't want them to want them to. And things don't happen when you do want them to. But a promise of lap slugs demands from my mind. I lie still beneath the heavy blanket, but my sadness and the anxiety are alert and kicking. I have become the night flow of the river beneath the surface, engaged in a skirmish with the current. I pray that those fires and images of destroyed may float away on the surface. And I pray, I pray for their peace and mind. May all living things be at peace. Thank you very much.